But I think it's, it's, it's even, it's so divine how the Lord even has a baby dedication in the day that he's talking about peace. Um, because the kingdom of God belongs to people who are childlike, right? That child is at peace right now. He's not worried about, even at this moment, he's not worried about what he's going to do in an hour from now. He's at peace because he can live in the present. And one of the reasons that we fail to live at peace is we don't operate in present time with Jesus. We operate in past. Where did we come from? What happened to us? And we operate in future. What if? So there's these two places in life. If only and what if? And they will always rob your peace. And so... Peace is the word that the Lord is using this morning. And he's doing this in a sense that in January 1, Jesus, who's here this morning with Sophia, came to the house. And he got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit at Genesis Ranch. And it was a, it was a picture from God of revival that's coming. That it's not through organization, it's through his spirit. It's by his spirit that he's going to gather his people from the ends of the earth and January 1 was a mark that this is a year of harvest. And um, on February 1, we were in Ron's bathroom, redoing the inside of his house. And it was a picture of the harvest is about the in, inner workings of a man, right? Real harvest is not about a meeting where people manifest. Real harvest is about people being transformed on the inside, being conformed to the image of Jesus, looking more like Him, sounding more like Him, acting more like Him, responding more like Him, and not operating in what once was the works of the flesh. So the inner workings of Ron's house was a picture for us as a family that we didn't give him a makeover on the outside to make the house beauty beautiful from the outside. We went to the most private room, which was his bathroom, tore out all of the rot and replaced it with brand new. So God was using that as a picture. So I asked him this morning, I said, so Lord, January 1, I know the picture. February 1, I know the picture. It's March 1. What's the picture? And he said, through all of you, it's peace. You can see it in my journal. I put a question mark. And I just said to him this morning that over and over, I said, Holy Spirit, I trust you to lead this fellowship. I trust you to bring the word forward that needs to be brought. I did. I just I even had a little bit of like not anxiety. I don't claim it. But I had that stressful feeling of like, Lord, I don't really know what direction to head in this morning, but I know you do. So I'm going to rely on you because sometimes it's easier for me if I hear it on Thursday to get ready and prepared. And like, but when you come in, when the word's living and alive inside me, I just have to trust him. So what he's telling me is that here's how it looks. Revival comes, harvest comes. But harvest comes when the inside of man is transformed. The inside of man can only be transformed when there's a possibility of peace. Yes. Peace. It has to be the governing element of revival. And Josiah read the scripture that I was going to quote to you. Second Timothy chapter. He says, and always praying, but he says that you may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and self-control. The contentedness of God means that it's not about you manifesting it in a meeting. It means that you are 100% content on your couch. Yes. 
You're 100% content with Jesus when you're not satiating your flesh. That's right. You're 100% content with Jesus because you know what he said in his word. That's right. And so it's so DL reads the scripture where in in Micah 6:8. That's one of the scriptures that I was going to share with you this morning. In the old covenant, what did God say? He said, "This is what I desire. Do justice." Love mercy, love steadfast love, love giving, love being that steadfast love is you're laying your life down for other people. Lynn read the verse. Don't don't honor anybody honor everybody else above yourself. She read of the new covenant what DL read of the old covenant. Mm -hmm. Humbly walk before your God, lifting everybody else up. Somebody else in here said the journey is to lift people to a higher place, lifting people up to a place they need to be in. So. I was also going to read the scripture Peter brought up, which was John chapter 20, when he said Jesus stepped in the room and said, peace be with you. See, what we've done is we've literally taken doubting, quote unquote, labeled him wrong. And Josiah and Peter were talking about this, but we've called him a doubting Thomas. The irony of that is people must miss the verses that came before Thomas, because when Jesus showed up, when Thomas wasn't there, he did the exact same thing. He came in the room, said, peace be with you. And the Bible says he showed them his hands and his side. And they said, we believe. So when Thomas shows up, Jesus didn't do anything different. And so you think about it this way. Like Jesus was showing up to say, you have peace. To Thomas as an individual, to the disciples. And here's why. If he shows up in the old covenant... All right. This when he showed up to Thomas and the disciples was after he raised from the dead. Okay, you guys understand that? It's after he breathed the Holy Spirit. It's after the very beginning of the new covenant. So the reason he can come and say peace to them in that room is because he took all unbelief on him at the cross. Because the Bible says he hates unbelief, and unbelief is ultimately the the blasphemy of the spirit. It's the unforgivable sin. You don't believe, you don't go to heaven. So unbelief is hated by God until the moment that new covenant starts. Now unbelief becomes something that Jesus can step into and say, you still have peace. Like he doesn't come and browbeat you in the new covenant because you can't be condemned. You cannot be condemned because it's his faith that he gives to you that he's helping you believe, 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 believe. Will he find faith in the earth? A question from the Gospels. The answer is yes. Why? He lives in me. His faith is alive inside of me. Even if it's the size of a mustard seed, he's alive inside me. So will he find it when he returns? He sure will because he's going to meet himself. And I'm in, he's in me and he's up there and he's going to meet himself and be like, there's faith in that man right there. Faith in that lady right there. Right? And all of a sudden you get to start going to a place where, hold on a second. Peace is not governed by my situation. Right? You, and, and, and I mean that from the inside. I'm not even talking about the outside. See, what, 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 what the enemy wants you to do is think that at any moment, at any time, you could lose your peace with God. And the church preaches it. The church tells you, if you don't do, and if you don't be, and if you don't follow, and if you don't, then God's going to be mad at you. 
And at any time, God could send a disease upon you to teach you patience and He could hit you with some sickness, take off a limb. You don't even know who He is. He's like this master of the universe you're freaked out by instead of having a genuine heartfelt fear of the Lord. And how do you have peace when you're constantly being preached that if you're not in my building, you're out of the will of God. If you're not in my church, if you're not listening to what I'm saying, if you're not... Whoa! None of that's in Scripture. Romans 5.1 You have peace with God because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom you were justified. 100% of the time. And you guys hear me, I go back to this over and over, and here's why David read it. You have to be persuaded. I have to be persuaded. Right? That neither death, nor life, nor things to come, nor things seen, nor things unseen would ever separate me from the love of God and the peace of God. That I am never outside of His kindness and His goodness and His mercy. Which all comes right back to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So we we can be guilty of preaching behavior, so you have to maintain peace with God. And when we preach behavior to maintain peace with God, we subject you to the law which keeps you from a mindset of perfection. Because in your effort to be okay with God, you're not okay with Him. I mean, even in your great, like your best fast in the flesh is not worth anything. Right? Your best Bible reading time, your best. Hours of prayer time, if it's in works mentality, if it's in a works perspective, I just have to maintain peace with God. It's failing to do what it's supposed to do. Because the only way you can have peace with God, he says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If it could be perfected, guys, if it if it could perfect you, then it would just need to then it could stop. He said, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there remain, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible, 100% impossible, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Do you guys see why the Jews wanted to kill Paul over and over and over? Whoever wrote this book. I believe it was Paul, but it could have been somebody else. Do you know why they persecuted Paul? He's flying in the face of everything they set every belief on. They determine that peace only comes through my performance. He stands up and says, you can do it all day, every year, all the time, and it'll never do what you need it to do. They're like, we want to kill you. But here's what he says. Consequently... So it's like saying, furthermore, and when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. 
So Jesus, who's under law, preaching law, tells, quotes the scripture and says, I'm the one coming to fulfill it. So when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Not once for Monday and again for Tuesday. Once for all. Every hour, every second, every minute, the blood of Jesus speaks a better thing. The blood of Jesus speaks a better thing. You fall, you stumble in many ways, and we all do. The Bible says it's dead works and you're free from the power of sin. That he annulled the body of sin, Romans chapter 6. So the issue is not how you're behaving. The issue is what are you believing when you're behaving. It's never about your behavior. It's never about fixing yourself, getting yourself right, pulling yourself up, trying harder. It's all about, is his blood really as big as he says it is? And does it really cover everything that I could fail in in my entire life? And if it is that big, then all of a sudden I can have peace because he's perfected me by one offering and he ceased to offer offerings. He doesn't get back on the cross. And evangelism comes out of peace because now when I look at somebody who's lost, the same is true for them as it's true for me. Jesus isn't getting back on a cross to save them in that moment. His salvation is for all men, for all time. And all we have to do is declare that they are free if only they will believe. And he gives the faith. Right. And it's so much easier to, to do that. He says every priest stands at daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Guys, this is like a phrase for the church who comes in Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, offering the same sacrifices, hoping they can get set free, hoping they can get past this, hoping they can get past that. And all they're doing is walking in with a full brain full of how they failed. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the power of the law is sin. The moment you have sin consciousness, you fuel law. You fuel performance. So you come in, I got sin consciousness, sin. How do I fix my sin? How do I fix my sin? And, and all that it produces is more effort, which produces more failure, which produces more condemnation and produces more sin consciousness. And eventually, Hebrews says, do not let a, a, a root of bitterness take hold because as you fail and condemn and fail and condemn and fail and condemn and fail, pretty soon you're bitter, your, root, your heart gets hard and you don't have the capacity to say, hold on, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I repent of these dead works. It's not who I am. I'm not under the power of sin. How could I be under the power of sin if Christ died for it and if it's put away? So repentance is so easy and so possible when we remain in this position of peace. Repentance is fast when you're at peace. Right? I mean, if I'm at, like, I'm not going like, oh, God's ticked off. How do I make God happy now? Seriously? That's, but that's how I lived my life, guys. I lived my life in the church year after year after year. Performance, behavior, performance, behavior, frustration, condemnation. Get me out. God, I'm crying at the altar. I'm writing down my stuff. I'm nailing it to things. I'm doing everything I can. I'm fasting. I'm, I'm praying, God. I'm, I'm just short of cutting myself and rubbing ashes on me, God. 
Why am I not changing? It's because I wasn't believing in the finished work of Jesus and Jesus alone. That his blood is sufficient for all time and all men everywhere and all things. So I always am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Always. And he always does not remember my sin. He goes on, he says, When Christ has offered for, a ta- for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Peaceful position. <laughs> Waiting from that time until is, enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. It's an interesting verse because in another portion of scripture, he says, I have subjected all things unto Christ and made all his enemies a footstool for his feet. It's actually prophesied in, in the Psalms, but it's actually later stated in, I think, Hebrews chapter one or two. So why would God say, I've made all of Jesus' enemies a footstool for his feet. But then the Holy Spirit would say he's awaiting a time when his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. It's because his feet belong to you. He's awaiting you to put your feet over the enemy. And your greatest enemy is not the devil. And your greatest enemy is not demons. I promise your greatest enemy is mixing anything with the finished work of Jesus Christ. I mean, the instant performance creeps in your life, curses of the law start to take over. Right. So my greatest enemy is my belief system being maintained. The, The greatest fight for me is to always hold fast the mind of Christ. So when I'm failing, when I will fail, when I will fall short, I will not grovel, whine, complain, try to fix or overcome and become what I think God wants me to become. I will humble myself and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By your sufficiency, your blood, I boldly receive, which this is the word Michelle released, boldly receive your blood as my covering. Your life will change. I'm talking fast. It's not it's going to change so fast. It's going to shock you and awe you. You'll be like, I am not who I once was. It's the grace and the goodness of God. He said he's waiting from that time for his enemies shall be made footstools for his feet. So here's your enemy. He comes right. And he says, Mama Flo, you didn't pray long enough today. Right? You take that religious spirit, you stick it on your foot, and you say, I am the righteousness of God. My prayer is powerful and effective. Prayers of a righteous person avail much. My prayers are going where God's sending them. If I pray one minute, God's sufficiency. His sufficiency is so big, your one minute of prayer could change an entire region. And so could your eight hours of prayer. So could your 40 days of fasting. Whatever's burning inside you, you live it out as in Christ. There's not a formula, there's not a process, there's not a way. The moment performance comes on you, it's an enemy. Stick it under your foot. That's what Jesus is waiting for. He's waiting for a church who will rise up and see who she is and realize what he said is true. That she's always at peace. She's always in contentment. She's always living a quiet life. She doesn't have to be known in the room and seen in the room and competing in the room. She can be who she is because she knows who she is in him. Then the enemy has no power. He has no power of persuasion. He has nothing over you. How can he make you do anything when already everything you need to do is already done? Oh, man. Ooh, that's right. yeah. 
So just tell them to shut up and move on. Jesus finished the work. Jesus did it for me. Right? So here's the other side of it. And I always feel that God wants us as a body to not just boldly receive for ourselves, but to boldly apply for others. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So what I'm good at, I'm getting better at receiving God's grace for me. And I'm getting better at receiving God's grace for everyone else in the body of Christ. Okay? So it looks like this. It's when you are operating in a revelation that God's given you. And you're maintaining peace. And you're not acting like an orphan. And you're not acting like an illegitimate child of God, that you don't walk around the room trying to find out who in the room is not acting like a child of God. You see what I'm saying? The comparison... See, grace is so awesome because it destroys comparison. It destroys it. Because when a man preaches that it's through your sanctification, as you sanctify yourself through the holiness, being holier and holier, you automatically lay hierarchy in the church because you lay it in your own heart. I'm more sanctified than Don. So now when Don operates, I am approaching Don like, what's the holes in Don that I can point out and help him get more sanctified? Right? It automatically... Grace comes in and says, Justin didn't earn it. Don didn't earn it. They're the same. Jesus views them the same. Loves them the same. They're equal. Don's got revelation. Justin doesn't have. Justin has revelation. Don doesn't have. Need a whole body to share the word this morning so we understand we're supposed to head toward peace. (laughs) What? All of a sudden, the pastor's not so important anymore. Praise God. It's time for the, the leadership in the church of Jesus Christ to start staying on its knees and on its face instead of a podium and a platform trying to control people. You know, we were talking about this at, 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 I don't even know where we were because we've been in a lot of places lately. We were talking about orphanages. And orphanages, like what most of the fellowships that I've been a part of were like orphanages because everyone in the room is comparing themselves to everyone else in the room right. on every level. What's she wearing? What's he doing? How, how anointed is he? How gifted is he? How many blogs do they have? How many imp- impactful conferences have they been a part of? How many people have they led to the Lord? I'm not leading people to the Lord. You know, every level it's a comparison. And then you've got a guy at the front going, and you have to do it my way. Here's the three points to do it my way. You're not doing it my way. The elders will see you out. You can come if you do it my way. Trying to control people and make people follow something that man has created. And they're just like an orphanage keeper. Controlling the children. Jesus is the opposite. He's like, Dylan, you're going to do greater works than I'm going to do. And I'm going to see to it that you're going to do greater works. I want you to go further than I went because I'm going to see to it. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And if the leadership in the church would stay on its face, interceding and praying, we would see people's destinies come to pass and we would see society change. And do you guys understand that leadership in the church represents all of us? Those who are mature in the faith restore such a one. We all have a role in leadership. Pray for your leaders. Pray. You know what? I pray for Ron Green. Ron Green's a leader in this church. He's a first fruits leader in this family, in this fellowship of the revival and awakening here in Townsend, Tennessee. And he feels awkward that I'm saying it right now. Right? Yes. But it's the truth. Yes, it 
And so if I don't recognize it in him, how's he going to recognize it in him? Yeah, Yeah, Kelly. We always sat in the front row and we always had to look at people. Yeah, so we didn't have to look at their clothes and everything else. But no, um, the person that always sat to my left was the. Um, yeah, the white Most people go to church to feel good. Then you'll come back to Pastor Boo's house ever for dinner. Well, let me. been to their house three times and we haven't even lived here a year. Let me speak to that though because. Like where Hebrews is headed, okay, is I understand what you're saying on, on wanting to weep and how that is. Like the, the, the status quo is not the best, okay, but it's not all bad. Okay, so even though there are some things that need correction and need fixing, the grace of God is on his church at large. So the most arrogant pastors are under the grace of God. The most arrogant worship leaders are under the grace of God. And they are, and this is where this verse is headed. It says, I want his enemies to be a footstool under your feet, okay? Your enemy is not the one who's behaving improperly. Your enemy is performance. So if your enemy's performance, when you look at another human and say, you're not performing up to the standard of the kingdom, you just dropped back into law. Okay, so that so what it is is my enemy's performance my, over myself, but my enemy is also performance over any other individual in the church. So he says, for a single offering, this verse fourteen, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. When the Bible says those are being sanctified, you are sanctified the instant you believe and receive salvation. Sanctification is not continually becoming more and more like Jesus. That's conforming and maturing. Sanctified is set apart. The moment you believe and you're justified, you have peace with God. You're perfected for all time. Sin is dead. Death is dead. You'll never die again. Your eternal life is secure and sure in Jesus Christ because his power is alive inside you and his blood speaks better things. So if that's true, you have to be persuaded that you've been perfected for all time. So you can approach your own life with peace. But you have to believe that those in Christ are also perfected for all time by the same blood, not by behavior. Right? It's like the grace is good for me, but sometimes it's not good for you because I can see performance in you that's not keeping up to standard. So it's it's an authority issue. Okay, guys, watch this. When Jesus taught in the end of Matthew chapter five, chapter six. He, they said this of him. He speaks as one who has authority. Yes. Not like one of the scribes. <laughs> the reason you feel bad in the setting that you were just describing. Is because you didn't know who you were. And you didn't know what authority you had. So you didn't have peace. The real, the real truth is. You, when you believe what Jesus said, places you in a position of higher authority than someone who's operating out of that place. Even when they turn the cold shoulder, you still hold the authority. That's right. 
because you're unmoved by a cold shoulder. Right? You're unmoved by a lack of invitation. See, when the church, see, here's what the church has been. It's been an incubation of offense because we've been living under law. Mixture. So it's an incubator waiting for somebody to have an offense. And then, the, and then in the incubation of offense, it's looking for somebody else to have sympathy for your offense. And then once enough people get on your side of the offense, pun intended, get on your side of the offense, you divide and cut a new church off. You hear what I'm saying? You get on your side, get on my side, see how oh, I'm offended. Yeah, man, you should be offended. So-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And somebody needs to step in the middle of that thing, tear it in half and say, no, they're perfected in Christ because they're covered under his blood. Amen. And if they're not, he'll sort it out. I trust the Holy Spirit's a lot bigger than your ability to know who should and who shouldn't. Like it always comes back to how big is the blood, how sufficient is the sacrifice, how mighty is the God we serve, how great is the Holy Spirit that fills us. Is he really as big as we sit here and declare that he is? If he is, you can't offend me. Amen. That's right. And so once, you're per- once you get persuaded of the perfection, you don't fall into the trap anymore of I have to perform my husband has to perform. My kids have to perform. Because it breaks off. And you're like, his power is made perfect in weakness. Like, how about we do this as married people and as parents and as friends? How about when we see a weakness in somebody, we just start praising God for the power that's about to be revealed. When you see me be weak, like you see me mistreat my wife, not give her a look that I shouldn't give her. Don't judge me on the outside and say, Justin, not being a very good husband right now. Just say, God, I'm so excited about the power that's about to be released in that man's life. Right. And do that with your spouse. Like when your wife comes, your husband comes and something's jacked up. Instead of being like, you're jacked. No, you're jacked. And you didn't be like, man, I can't wait for the power to be released in this situation because we sure are weak right now. Right. Like, if we would just get our minds, like he says, daily, renew, 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 renew. And I feel like we've been talking about this. Get the mixed message out of my church. That's what I keep hearing from Jesus. All I want you to do, Justin, is get the mixed message out. Like, expose it. Release it. Let it go. Get it off of us. Because he does not want his bride in bondage. Like, he is... His, he's so passionate about it. I will tell you, I told these guys this yesterday. I believe that any form of mixture in our lives is agreeing with the Antichrist spirit. I believe that. I, I believe, and the reason is, is because I come under a curse the moment I mix myself. And the Antichrist spirit is accursed. Because it's basically saying your blood's not big enough for how bad I've been. That's right. Your blood's not big enough for how bad she's been. Your blood's not big enough for how bad he's been. Your sacrifice isn't big enough for the sin of the world. Totally. So Jesus is like today. Like here's what he's saying. Like you already you already all said it, but I wrote it down. Um, there is no fear. Because you're going to be persuaded. So you need to boldly receive. And have a plan for your own peace. Before you get there. 
Because peace is the abiding product of your faith. So you need to rejoice in how mighty I am as you seek each other's well-being. I've desired from you justice, loving love, steadfast love, and walking humbly before me. This thing is busting at the seams and about to erupt. (laughs) So come and make peace with me over your life. And go home and live a peaceful and quiet life and no revival. Because in my peace, you know you're my son. You know you're my daughter. As this happens, it becomes your bond that will never let you go. Like, you all said that. Jesus just wanted you all to know that You're preaching the gospel of grace. That's so awesome to me, guys. Be encouraged. Like, like Jordan, that the scripture that Jordan read is so so key, because you have to, in the times when crisis is not in your face, be persuaded that crisis comes. I still remain at peace because He perfected me forever under one sacrifice of His blood, made me His righteousness. I'm not going to be encountering new things that have to throw me into a tizzy. Right? Because I'm persuaded here and I got a plan. I got a plan when, you, when the things, when the wheels start coming off the cart, I got a plan. Amen. My plans start to talk about who I am, right? Amen. And the wheels are going to come off the cart. Usually the fastest place wheels come off the cart is relationship. Right? I mean, you go to church and hoorah, ha ha, woohoo, we're fired up. We get in the car and like one little thing, I want Doritos and I want Ruffles can just boom. The car is just a mess, you know, like you always get Ruffles. When I am get Doritos, you know, and it's just like wheels are coming off. What's your plan for peace? I'll tell you what it is. You look at your spouse and you say, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Don't just say it about yourself. Don't just be like, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not sure what your problem is. You know, like. That's what we want to do. I'm righteous. I'm out of here. Shut the door. You know, no, man. Press in. Be like, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You know? Oh, I love it.